Welcome back once again, everybody, to the Three Point Threat Podcast. I am your host, Jared Woodcox, and excited to you know be looking ahead to the NBA season that's coming up. We're into September now, so training camp is just around the corner, and, and before you know it, we'll be into preseason, and then we'll be right into it. So glad that it's finally getting close. You know, there's not a ton of news going on right now, but still some things I wanted to talk about on the show today. I will be flying solo, so sorry to disappoint, but you just you're stuck with me today. <laughs> um, but for point number one. Um, if you've been following my, my recent posts on the jnotes.com, I've been talking a lot about the best and worst case scenarios for each jazz player. I kind of want to supplement that. And for my first point, really more than, more than talk about the best and the worst, just talk about my realistic expectation for each jazz player on the roster this upcoming year. So that'll be the first point for point number two, obviously kind of the biggest news surrounding the jazz right now is the Rodney hood extension talks. Um, it'll be interesting to see what comes of those. I want to give my two cents on what I think the Jazz should and will do. That'll be point number two. And then for point three, uh, kind of looking towards the league as a whole, obviously there were a lot of players that changed teams. I shouldn't just say a lot of players, a lot of star players that changed teams this offseason. You know, one of them being Gordon Hayward, who Jazz fans are all too familiar with, um, and his new teammate Kyrie Irving, but there's a ton of others as well. And I just kind of want to look at each of those players and give my thoughts on how I think they'll do with their new teams, how their teams will do as a result of it, and really look at that as a whole. So without further ado, I'm going to dive right in. For point number one, I'll be looking at the Jazz's roster. Point one. So as I mentioned in the introduction, you know, lately on the jnotes.com, I've been writing a lot about the best and worst case scenarios for each Jazz player. I actually just wrapped up that series not long ago. And what I wanted to talk about on the show today is rather than, you know, talk about where that spectrum is as far as what their worst possible outcome is this year and what their best possible outcome is, I wanted to really hone in on where I think they'll land, whether it's going to be closer to their best case scenario, closer to their worst case scenario, somewhere in the middle, um, and really dive into that. So as you all know, I'm sure the Jazz right now have 16 players on the roster due to the signing of Royce O'Neal. He was number 16. Uh, this offseason. And I'll start with Royce O'Neal here shortly. Um, But that means that one player is going to have to be cut. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how that all pans out. So with Royce O'Neal, as far as where I think he'll land on his spectrum of best and worst case scenario, I have him right about in the middle. I mean, not a ton of expectations for this guy this upcoming year. The Jazz were impressed with him in their 2016 free agent minicamp, and that's why they signed him to a deal. I was pretty surprised that they agreed to a three-year deal with him just because he's kind of an unknown at this point. Um, be interesting to see how he pans out. I do think, you know, there's still a chance that maybe he's the one that doesn't make the team. But then again, I find it odd that the Jazz would give him a three-year deal unless they were pretty confident that he was going to be on the team. So I, I honestly think he is going to be on that final 15-man roster. I don't know that, that means he's going to play a ton. He could still spend quite a bit of time with the uh, Salt Lake City Stars. Uh, but the Jazz are good at finding diamonds in the rough. I mean, look at Joe Ingles. Maybe Royce O'Neal ends up being a guy that gets another shot with the Jazz and he's kind of a Joe Ingles 2.0. I don't know. But for 17-18, I do think, you know, I kind of had his worst case as him not really doing anything or getting cut and his best case being actually playing some significant minutes. I think he'll be in the middle. I don't know that he's going to um, have a ton of playing time with the Jazz, but if he can improve and show that he's worthy of being on that 15-man roster, I think that's a good uh, situation for him, and I think that's about where he's going to land. Uh, next is Joel Ballenboy, and uh, I love Joel Ballenboy. I thought he showed a ton of potential in the uh, in the D-League, now the G-League, this past year. Um, but honestly, I think he's going to land a little closer to his worst-case scenario. If I had to guess, I think that Joel Ballenboy is probably going to be the odd man out and the one that is cut from the team. I think with the drafting of Tony Bradley, I mean, obviously Bradley's younger, 
Um, I assume the Jazz see him as a guy that has more upside. I could see Bradley really replacing Brad Ballenboy, excuse me, and taking over that that role there. Um, the other thing going against Ballenboy was he wasn't all that spectacular in in the summer league. And I know that the summer league is not a tell all. Um, but I just think the writing might be on the wall that he's going to be the odd man out for those reasons. Personally, I don't want that to be the case. I want Ballenboy to make the team. I hope that he bounces back and kills it in training camp and shows that he can still be that explosive rebounder, um, that he can kind of get a better um, grip and understanding of the defense. I hope that he makes it. Just if I had to put money on it, I think he might be the one that ends up being out. With that being said, the Jazz do still have one more two-way contract. Whether or not they would or, or, or could even consider using that on him, I'm not, I'm not sure that that'll be the case, but that is still an option out there. So I do think Ball and Boy is going to be more towards his worst case scenario. Um, with Neto, you know, I think that he is going to land about in the middle between his best and worst case scenario. Um, that being said, I think, you know, if he were to reach his best case, that would mean that somebody above him on the depth chart either was hurt or not playing well. And so if Neto reaches his personal best case scenario of actually getting playing time, being a nightly contributor, that is probably a bad thing for the Jazz. It probably means that either Exum or Mitchell is not panning out, and, and that's why Neto is getting playing time. And obviously that would be bad for the Jazz. We saw last year that, you know, Shelvin Mack really took over um, Dante Exum's role or his reserve role. And it didn't necessarily help the Jazz that much, and it certainly didn't help Dante. And I think this year we all want to see Dante succeed. So if Neto's getting a ton of playing time, it probably means that such isn't the case. So I do think Neto will finish in the middle as far as between his best and worst case scenarios. And another reason why I say that is because, you know, he's going to be solid. When Neto has a chance to play, I do trust that he's going to come in and give good minutes. He always has. And so I think that's why I'll be in the middle. His worst case scenario would be if he doesn't play like at all or if he does get cut. You could say hypothetically he is a player that could be cut. I just don't see that happening because the Jazz have a lot of question marks at the guard positions. Like I said, we don't know if Dante or if Donovan Mitchell are going to pan out. So I do think they're going to want the insurance that Neto brings. And he's just solid. He really is. You know, he brings that hustle. He brings that defense. He does a lot of things to prove that he is worthy of being on an NBA roster. Um, beyond all that, we also know how close him and Gobert are. Um, they're, they're obviously very good friends. They've been together all summer. They went to each other's different basketball camps and things like that. And, you know, you could say that, you know, if it's better for the Jazz, it doesn't make sense to to just all put all your stock in what Gobert thinks. But I do think the Jazz will keep Neto around, and that, that'll have something to do with it. I mean... They want to keep Gobert happy now that he's the best player on the team, that the team's leader. And really, you know, risking cutting Neto and making Gobert upset isn't worth it when you have two guys like Ballenboy or O'Neal who would make more sense to cut before Neto anyway. So I think the fact that Neto has proven that he can contribute when he's given the time, the fact that the guard position, the point guard position is a little bit of a question mark, and then last of all that he's close with Gobert, I do think that Neto's definitely going to be on the team. And when he gets a chance, I think he'll do well. I just personally hope that Exum and Mitchell can play well enough and all stay healthy enough, and, and I guess Rubio healthy enough as well, that we don't have to rely on Neto as much as we have the past couple of years. So that's my thoughts with him. Uh, with Tony Bradley, um, I don't think he's going to have a bad year per se, but I do think he's going to land a little bit closer to his worst case scenario. And that's not necessarily a bad thing for him or his future. What I mean by that is that 
I don't see him logging a ton of minutes this year. I think that he's going to spend a lot of time in the in the G League, and that could be a good thing. I mean, honestly, even if he doesn't play much for the Jazz, if he can just have some impressive minutes in the G League and show that he has a future with this team, quite honestly, maybe that's closer to a best-case scenario than I had him pinned originally. Um, another reason why I think that Bradley's going to be more towards, you know, not playing a ton with the Jazz is I actually have really high hopes for Epe Udo, who I will get to here shortly. Um, but I'm excited about Tony Bradley. I don't want you guys to take it the wrong way when I say I think he'll be a little bit closer to his worst case scenario. More than anything, I say that because he is so young and I don't know that he's going to be playing with the Jazz a ton. And as I mentioned, I do think that Udo will beat him out for minutes for that backup center position. Um, so that, that's my thoughts with Tony Bradley. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, honestly, I do think he's going to land close to his best case scenario, if not right on it. I think there is a chance that Mitchell starts by the end of the year. Um, obviously, he's going to have to beat out some guys that are pretty proven to do that. But based on what we saw in Summer League, I do think he has a shot. I'm a little concerned about his shooting efficiency. I mean, he is going to be a rookie. He's going to have a lot of things he has to adapt to. But I'm confident that Mitchell is going to do well. I know that Jazz fans are really excited about him. The coaching staff and the front office are really high on him. And I think rightfully so. I think that this guy's going to turn out to be great. And, and I'm excited about it. You know, 17-18 is not going to be pretty all the time for Mitchell. There's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. <clears throat> but I do still think that, you know, perhaps by the end of the year, like I said, he has that starting position. And even if he doesn't, I think he's going to be a nightly contributor. The Jazz need offense to come from somewhere, and I think that Mitchell's going to be one of the guys that helps pr pr uh, provide that. I could very well see Mitchell being a double-digit scorer, whether he's on the bench the whole year, or whether he comes off the bench the whole year, or whether he gets in that starting role. I think we're going to see him putting up some significant points, so I'm excited about that. Moving on now to Epe Udo. Um, Quite frankly, guys, I'm really excited about Udo. I mean, I know that he's not that flashy of a signing. I mean, he was an NBA washout that's trying to make his, his return and his comeback this year. But for some reason, I just think he's going to pan out very well. I think that Coach Snyder is going to use him really well. I think he's an excellent passer. Um, you know, he's a better rim protector and a better athlete than Jeff Withey. So with that in mind, I feel like with Gobert, you know, when Gobert goes to the bench, we're finally going to have somebody in Udo who can help anchor the defense still without having to force Derek Favors to play the center position. I do think that Favors will still get quite a bit of time at the center just because he's he's a better player than Udo. Um, quite frankly, Favors is going to be one of our best players next year as long as he's healthy. There's no doubt about that. But knowing that we actually have somebody we can turn to that's not just a, a last-ditch a last ditch effort or a last resort um, with Udo, I think that's going to be very good for him and for the team. I'm excited to see what he can do. He may not play every single night. You know, there might be nights where the Jazz find it better to go smaller or just use favors at the at the center and have someone like Joe Johnson or Cephalosha play the four more often than not. And maybe Udo's not on the floor every single night. But I still think he's going to be a reliable guy to call upon more often than we could call upon Jeff Withey. And I'm excited to see what he can do. I really think Udo's going to land closer to his best case scenario um, than a worst case scenario. I'm really excited to see what he can do for the Jazz. Uh, Dabble Cephalosha. Um, he's another guy that I'm really excited about. I think this was a very, very under-the-radar, kind of undervalued signing. I mean, is um, not really a Gordon Hayward replacement by any means. I mean, yes, he's a small forward like Hayward was, but I'm pretty sure Joe Ingles is still going to get the nod as the starter. I think we would all, for the most part, agree that that will probably be the case. Um, but Cephalos is going to be a guy who's going to come in, and I think he's going to work wonders for the Jazz. He's going to help that second unit be even better. Um, than it was last year. He has incredible defense. He's great at stealing the ball. And, and call me crazy, but I think this is going to be the year that Cephalosha finally averages double-digit scoring. 
I think that he's going to fit in well. He's going to have a big opportunity, a big role, play some pretty heavy bench minutes, and we're really going to see that out of him. Um, this is kind of a random statistic about Cephalosha, but last year he actually shot at home with the Hawks, so within Phillips Arena, he only shot 26.2% from three, which obviously isn't very good, but then on the road, he shot 42.4%, which is very good. So, you know, if he can maintain that, you know, if he still struggles at Phillips Arena, you know, whatever, we only play there once a year. If he can go closer to that 42.4% everywhere else that he plays, including um, within Vivint Smart Home Arena, that's going to be awesome. We're going to love seeing that. And I think that he is capable of that. I think that Cephalosha could have a, you know, kind of a breakout year, for lack of a better term. Maybe he's a little bit too old to have a breakout year. But I think he's going to fit in very well with the Jazz. And, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Going back to what I said, too, about how I don't think he's going to replace Gordon Hayward, but I do think he'll be an awesome piece of the bench. And one thing, you know, last year the Jazz were actually picked to have the best bench in the league. Um, you know, so on CBS Sports during the preseason, they were picked as that. And their bench was good, don't get me wrong, but I honestly think that their bench wasn't quite as solid as we all hoped it was going to be, and a big part of that was injuries, obviously. We were having guys that were supposed to be part of this strong bench coming in in the starting lineup, and because of that, the bench actually struggled a little bit, or I guess took a hit a little bit. I think with guys like Cephalosha, with Udo, with uh, Drebko, who we'll get to here in a bit as well, I actually think the Jazz bench has the possibility of being better and maybe even significantly better than last year's. Obviously, we you know our starting lineup took a bit of a hit once we lost Hayward. But, you know, if the if the starting lineup can do the best to minimize the damage, and then if our bench is even better, and if when our bench is in the game, we can really challenge and really hurt opposing teams' benches, it could be, you know, a sight to behold. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think Tabo is going to be a key piece of that, and he's going to be an excellent pickup for the Jazz. I definitely have him reaching close to his best-case scenario. Uh, for Jonas Drebko, I really like him, and I like that he's a stretch four. I think that Quinn Snyder is going to utilize him very well. Um, but the one concern I have with him, I guess I should say first, I have him kind of in the middle between his best and worst case scenarios. I don't think he's going to be terrible, but I don't think he's going to be amazing. And the reason I say that, the concern that I was going to say that I have is that, you know, the Celtic strength the past couple years has been their depth. You know, they've really relied on, on going deep into their depth chart and, and getting guys in the game and getting them involved. And even so, Jurebko still wasn't used all that much. He didn't contribute all that much. The past two years, he averaged right around 15 minutes and four points a game for the Celtics. Um, when he came in, a lot of times he'd have a big impact, especially I felt like in the playoffs this past year, he was an awesome spark plug. So if he can be that you know, more frequently, if that can be more the norm, then I definitely think he can reach closer to his best case scenario. But just the fact that he wasn't a huge impact player for the Celtics, I think that he might kind of struggle to be so with the Jazz, and that's why I have him landing around the middle. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that he has a breakout year. I hope that he gets closer to double-figure scoring. I just don't know if that's going to be the case. Like I said, I do like that he will be utilized as a stretch four, add some size to that position, you know, where, you know, if it's someone that we don't feel comfortable having Joe Johnson in because of the opponent we're playing or Tabo Cephalosha, we can have Drebko be that backup four and hopefully he'll be very effective. But just because of his history the past couple of years, I do think that maybe he's going to be more in the middle in regards of where he'll land between his best and worst case scenario. Next guy, um, Alec Burks. And as much as I want to be optimistic with Alec Burks and say this is going to be the year that he comes back, I unfortunately do think that Burks is going to land closer to his worst case scenario. I hope I'm 100% wrong on this, guys. I really like Burks. I think he showed a ton of potential early in his career before he's just been totally just, you know, sidelined with injuries the past three years. But I have the feeling that he's going to be closer to his worst case scenario. Even if he is healthy, 
I just feel like the Jazz have so many more proven or more promising guys at his position that it's going to be hard for him to crack through and find minutes. I just think the Jazz are going to want to give time to you know Dante Exum and Donovan Mitchell. Um, beyond them, obviously Rodney Hood is the, is the clear starter over Burks at the shooting guard position. You have Joe Ingles, who's a wing, who proved last year that he deserves time over Burks. And as much as it pains me to say it, I just don't see things really coming together for him. Um, it, it's a shame. I mean, you, you look back a couple years, and when I had John Kiefer on the show a couple weeks back, you know, we talked about when we watched that highlight video of him, you know, we love Alec Burks. We love the way he plays, how exciting he was to watch. Dwayne Wade once called him the most underrated player in the league. But just based on what we've seen the past few years, including last year when he was semi-healthy, how much he struggled to finish, and I just don't know that I see Burks playing a ton. And I think really we'll see him land closer to his worst case than his best case scenario. Again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Burks bounces back and has a huge year and finds his way into the rotation. I'm just not optimistic about that being the case. Uh, next guy, Joe Johnson. Um, you know, this one's kind of tricky for me because I think you could say in a lot of ways that he was close to his best case scenario last year, just because he really did about everything you could ask of him. He was always solid. He was always reliable. He hit clutch shots. I'm going to put him, I guess, in the middle, but slightly towards his best case scenario. I think the Jazz are going to need him to shoulder more of an offensive load this year. And I think he's going to be willing to step up to that. Obviously, his age is a bit of a concern, but I still am, am very confident that he's going to be an incredible piece of this Jazz team. He'll contribute. We know how well he played the stretch four last year for the Jazz, and I think he'll continue to do so. So I guess the reason I don't have him right at his best-case scenario, like I said, is just because of his age and because I don't think he's going to be – well, I'm almost positive he's not going to be that 20-point scorer that he once was, and he obviously wasn't last year. The Jazz were very careful with his minutes – but I think with Hayward gone, we're going to lean on Johnson even more to help us get that scoring. And with that being said, I think that he'll have a good year. I'm not worried about him taking you know, a total nosedive yet, even though he is older. I think he still has a lot of gas left in the tank, and we'll see that this upcoming season. Joe Ingles, I'm, I'm feeling very confident and comfortable with him. He proved how steady he was last year. I think that he'll finish close to his best-case scenario. I do expect an uptick in scoring. He's going to have more opportunity. Um, you know, He could be utilized both as a starter and off the bench as the Jazz see fit. I definitely think he'll start out the year as the starter, but we'll see how things pan out as far as lineups and chemistry and all that. And the good thing about Joe is he's going to do whatever's asked of him. And I think that that's a big reason why we can be so sure that he's going to most likely hit his best-case scenario. Um, he was a reliable three-point shooter last year. He kind of went down towards the end of the year and in the postseason, but I think he's going to continue to work and improve on that this year. I would love to see him finish the year with the best three-point percentage in the league. He was close to doing that last year, and I think he could do it or be close to it this year. Um, if he does, obviously that's going to be right at his best-case scenario. Even if he's in you know, the top five, kind of like he was last year, that's about where we want to see him, and that'll make him close to that best-case best case scenario, and I'm confident he can do that. Dante Exum, um, I'm going to have him landing right about in the middle. I think he is going to be much improved. He should log, you know, he should log playing time pretty much every game. He had all the DNPs last year, even when he was healthy, that I know is so discouraging for Jazz fans. And I think we're going to see a change there. I really think he's going to have a lot more playing time. I'm really excited to see him and Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt together. They could be one of the most exciting young guard duos in the league, if you ask me. Um, he also looked a lot better in summer league, so there's a lot of things that make me excited about him. I just also feel like he has a big gap still to go um, that makes me not feel comfortable about him reaching his best case scenario. I think Dante's going to be probably in that 8 to 10 points per game range. 
hopefully. I mean, I think that would be a good mark for him, all things considered. More than anything, I want to see him get his defense back to where it was um, and hopefully even more improved from his rookie year. In his rookie year, towards the end of that year, when he got the starting gig, it was really looking like he was able to slow some of these elite point guards in the league. But then last year, I remember particularly, and there were other examples as well, but particularly I remember when Russell Westbrook would go at him and he would just beat Dante up. There was just nothing Dante could do to stop him. And I mean, a lot of players have a hard time with Russell Westbrook. That's obvious. But just there were a lot of circumstances where Dante wasn't as reliable of a defensive option as he seemed to be as a rookie even. So hopefully he builds on that. He's going to need that to get anywhere close to his best case scenario. At the end of the day, I don't think he's going to be quite as electrifying as we hope he is. Again, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope all these guys prove me wrong. You guys know that I want them all to have phenomenal years. But I think Dante Exum is going to land right in the middle. Um, Ricky Rubio, honestly, I may eat my words big time on this, but I am really excited and optimistic about Ricky Rubio. I think he's going to have a best case scenario type season with the Jazz. Um, I think Quinn Snyder is going to help him succeed. Um, you know, Dennis Lindsay said this offseason that the Jazz are an organization that breathes confidence into guys. They're going to trust Rubio. They're going to believe in him. They're going to have confidence in him. Um, you know, the system, I think, is going to fit really well with him. He's one of the best guys at running the pick and roll in the league, and he's going to have two of the best role men in the league in Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for him to succeed. You look at George Hill last year, and I mean, when the Jazz traded for him, a lot of fans were skeptical. You know, they saw his career and his, his 2015-16 scoring averages, and they didn't really jump out at anybody. They weren't that impressive. And then he ended up having a career high in scoring, and when he was healthy, he was phenomenal for the Jazz. There's just no denying that, despite some frustrations with how his time in Utah panned out. I think Rubio, similarly, is going to come in, and he's going to have a career season this year. I really think he's going to. I think he's going to figure out a way to, you know, he's not a knockdown shooter by any means. We know that. But I think he's going to find a way to maximize his strengths and find a way to be efficient and to put up points where we need him. His assists are going to be awesome. And I really feel optimistic about Ricky Rubio hitting his best case scenario. Next guy is Rodney Hood. And um, I hope I'm wrong on this, guys. I know a lot of jazz fans and, and a lot of jazz media probably think I'm wrong, but I don't have Rodney Hood having a best-case scenario type season next year. I think he's going to be kind of middle of the pack. I think he'll still be good. He'll be solid. But as far as being, you know, just this this awesome scorer and Utah's new go-to guy and the ultimate Hayward replacement, I'm not confident in that happening, unfortunately. I think if Hood is the Jazz's leading scorer, it's probably because um, he's taken a lot of shots, probably more than we'd like to see him take to get to that point. Um, other than that, I, I, will, I don't think he's going to be the leading scorer for the Jazz. Um, if he is, like I said, it's going to be because of those shots, but my, my number one thought is that he probably won't be the Jazz's leading scorer. Um, a lot of people want him to step up and be the guy for the Jazz, and he kind of needs to be. I, I think that the Jazz would like that. But just based on his injury, his inconsistency, and the fact that I just don't see him as a guy that when he has the ball in his hands, I don't feel comfortable yet that he's going to be able to make the right basketball play. He's going to be able to create the right shot to, to become our go-to guy. Hopefully, like I said, hopefully he proves me wrong and he gets there this year. But if we take the hood from last year and suddenly thrust him in that role and with that responsibility, it doesn't happen. Um, for him to be able to be that guy, he's going to have to take a bigger leap this offseason than Gordon Hayward took last offseason. And honestly, I thought that the leap that Gordon Hayward took was astronomical. It was a phenomenal jump. And so for Hood to take an even bigger jump than that, it's going to be tough. So I hope nothing but the best for him. I hope he has a great year for the Jazz. I hope that he can be, you know, upwards of 18 points per game on relatively high efficiency. I just don't think he's going to be there quite yet. You know, maybe this is the year where he sets the stage for him to become that. 
Um, I just think it's going to take a little bit more time before Hood really becomes the player the Jazz and the fans hope that he's going to be. Next is Derek Favors. Um, similar to Hood, I have Derek Favors finishing in the middle. I don't think he's going to have a bust of a season. I don't think he's going to have an amazing season. Um, more than anybody here, I hope I'm wrong on Favors than just about anybody else because I think he's phenomenal. Um, especially when he's been healthy, he's been great. If you saw recently on social media, you know, he said that it's not crazy at all to think that he could be an all-star. He has that confidence. I do think that Derek is capable of being the best player on, on, on the Jazz's team. I just don't think he's actually going to be. And the reason I think that is because, well, first of all, we know that Gobert pretty much has established himself as the best player on the team. But beyond that, you know, Gobert is going to take a lot of the touches. He's proven that he needs those as far as being the role man, as far as, you know, getting those easy shots at the hoop. And of course, I worry about Derek Favors health. Um, that, that's always going to be a concern. But even if he's healthy, I just felt like last year we didn't see the progress in the mid-range jumper that we thought we would. There were just a lot of things where he didn't look as explosive or as dominant or as confident. And again, a lot of this could be traced back to his health. Hopefully Favors is healthy and just becomes this dominant guy that's, that's a borderline 2010 guy. But I think with Rudy Gobert taking a lot of the touches, as I mentioned, and with Favors just you know working to find his place on this team after a year last year where he was kind of an afterthought, it's going to be interesting to see how it all comes together. Um, the one thing I will say about Favors is you know there's been a lot of to-do about how he and Gobert can't coexist. He had a lot to say about that on social media. He kind of shut down that whole notion that they can't play on the floor together. And I do agree with Favors. I do think that Gobert and Favors can play together, but he needs to prove that once and for all. Gobert can play with anybody and be solid. We need to know that Favors can also play with Gobert and be solid. If he can do all that, you know, maybe he'll prove me wrong and he will have a best case scenario type season. And I hope that that's the case. But until I really see more out of him, I think he's going to finish more in the middle between his best and worst case scenarios. The last player that I have left to mention is Rudy Gobert, and I honestly do think that he is going to finish very close to his best case scenario. He was phenomenal in 2016-17, and he should only get better. I do think he's going to be an all-star, and I do think he's going to be the defensive player of the year, which are the two things I had would be his best case scenario. He got a little bit of recognition last year. You know, folks are going to be paying more attention to him this year because he had a few accolades, you know, last year that he earned. And so now he's going to be a little bit more in the spotlight. And I think he's going to thrive on that. I think it's going to make him better. And I think he's going to really prove to people that he deserves to be in the conversation as an all-star and certainly as, as defensive player of the year. In terms of on-court and not just those accolades, I think that him and Ricky Rubio are going to fit very well together. I think Rubio is going to help him get a lot of easy looks. So I think we will see an uptick in points for Rudy Gobert. And honestly, we have to. He has to get better. He's got to score more. It's hard to imagine this, but I do think he'll be even better on the defensive end as well as he looks to truly prove to everybody that he is the defensive player of the year. So just all in all, I expect big things out of Rudy Gobert. He had a great season last year, so it's almost hard to think he'll get better. But I think he's going to. I really think that his best case scenario is very attainable and very realistic. I'm excited to see him in action, and I'm confident that he can get it done. So... That's my kind of realistic predictions for all 16 members of the Utah Jazz roster um, currently going into next season. Like I said, I hope I'm wrong on a lot of these. I hope everybody hits their best case scenario, even if that causes problems as far as determining who plays and who doesn't. Um, but that's where I see each one of them landing as far as you know where they'll fall on the spectrum between their best case and worst case scenario. So with that being said, let's move on now to point number two, where I'll give my thoughts on the Rodney Hood extension talks. Point two. So as I'm sure you're all familiar with, there have been reports surfacing that Rodney Hood and the Jazz are exploring extension talks. And, you know, it's always kind of, it's always kind of scary when you have a player like Rodney Hood who 
in a lot of ways is unproven, but he's shown a lot of value and he's about to be a restricted free agent. It kind of puts a team in a bad spot because, you know, we want to keep Rodney Hood. That's obvious. He's been good for this team, but we also don't want to overpay for him. Uh, we don't want to, you know, end up having him not pan out and we ha- we're stuck in a bad contract or anything like that. We also don't want to lose him or end up having some team, you know, throw so much money at him that we're forced to match him. So it can be a smart and a, and a wise move to extend a player. So here's kind of the different, I wanted to break down the different scenarios that are facing the Jazz as far as what they can do with Rodney Hood and how it's going to pan out. And obviously these are very generic and very basic scenarios, but these are kind of the, the overview of what they're looking at. So the first one is if the Jazz can come to an agreement with Hood and get an extension done now and they do it at a good value, you know, not, not a max deal, but, but a, a good deal where Rodney feels comfortable that he can, he can grow on that and he can feel comfortable that he has that security, um, but the Jazz feel like they're not tying too much money into him. And then from there, he breaks out and has an awesome year, you know, and ends up being worth way more than even what they paid him, kind of like Rudy Gobert did last year, you could say. Then that's a huge win for the Jazz. The Jazz win because, you know, they have him at a reasonable contract. He's locked down, you know, for the long term. They don't have to deal with the restricted free agency drama, and that's all good. Hood, you know, he kind of wins. You could say that he would have won more if he had waited and signed bigger money in the offseason, uh, in the next offseason. But at the same time, you know, I think it's still a win for him because, you know, he proved that he's worth even more. He's kind of in a good spot with the fans and with the organization. He can build on that and become even better. And more than anything, if he breaks out and has a good year, that's going to be excellent for him. That's got to be his number one focus anyway. So that really is the best case scenario, I think. If the Jazz can extend him now at a very, very affordable, but I guess a reasonable and a fair price, but then also that Rodney Hood plays well and exceeds their expectations, that's going to be the best case scenario. The next scenario here is that the Jazz extend Hood. They get an extension done now, uh, but the opposite happens, and he struggles, and he can't stay healthy, and he doesn't do well. If that's the case, then this becomes an Alec Burks 2.0 type situation. The Jazz lose if this happens. This is not what we want to have happen. Um, if they put this money into him now, hoping that he's going to pan out and then he doesn't, that's one of the worst things that can happen, unfortunately. Um, on Hood's side, I mean, Hood would win technically because, you know, if he doesn't play well, but he still has a paycheck coming his way, he has that security no matter what happens. So you could say he wins financially, but obviously if he has a bad year, he loses basketball-wise, he's going to lose playing time, it's going to cause frustration, it's going to cause friction, and it may hinder him financially in the long term too beyond, you know, his time with the Jazz. So that's definitely not a good scenario for either party. We do not want to see that happen at all. The next situation would be if the Jazz don't extend Rodney Hood, they decide just to let the season play out and then and then face restricted free agency, and then he has an incredible season. He plays extremely well. You know, he hits restricted free agency, and the Jazz decide, well, okay, we need to pay him now. Maybe it's a max deal or a close to max deal, and the Jazz throw all this money at him. If that ends up being the case, then... You know, you could say the Jazz win because they have a great player on their hands, but in some ways they lose because had they extended him beforehand, they could have gotten him for less money, more more than likely. So it's kind of a kind of an in between a win and a loss for the Jazz in that circumstance. The guy who wins big in that circumstance would be Rodney Hood because obviously he was patient. He didn't sign an early extension. He proved himself this year. He proves he's worth every penny that the Jazz throw at him. And you know, maybe the Jazz have to match another team. Maybe they just are proactive and just sign him right away, kind of like they did with Joe Ingles, who was a restricted free agent this past offseason. Either way, though, that's a big win for Rodney. If it ends up being that you know he proves himself this year and the Jazz pay him big money. The next situation would be if Hood doesn't extend, 
he has a disappointing season, and then the Jazz, you know, they bring him back at a at a realistic value, whatever that ends up being. If that ends up being the case, I mean, the good news of that is that the Jazz didn't blow a ton of money on him. The bad news, obviously, is that we need Rodney to step up, and if he doesn't, whether we're saving money or not, it's no good to have a player on the roster that's underperforming. So it's it's kind of a win, but but kind of a loss. I guess for Rodney, you could say the same thing. It's mostly a loss just because, obviously, if he has a bad year, that's not good for him. That's not good for his stock now or in the future. The only good thing of this scenario is the Jazz do bring him back, even if it's at less money than he had hoped because he performed worse than he had hoped. It's just another chance for him to continue proving himself on a team that he's familiar with, with, with teammates and a coaching staff that trust him. So even if he has you know kind of a bad or, or just not that impressive of a year this year, he could still maybe set the stage to become a special player. Because look, the important thing to remember is that Rodney Hood is still very young. He still has a lot to prove. I mentioned in the previous segment that you know I think that a lot of fans think that Rodney Hood is going to be our next go-to guy this year. I kind of think that he's not going to quite be that this year. But that doesn't mean he's not going to be a good player. He could still be a good player this year and hopefully set the stage for taking on a bigger role, taking on more pressure, and becoming that go-to guy next year. So that's kind of how that scenario breaks down. The last one, and like I said, there's lots of different scenarios. This is all very generic. But the last one that I could see is that, you know, Hood doesn't sign an extension to start out the year. Um, He ends up playing poorly or he can't stay healthy, has a disappointing 17-18 season, and the Jazz just let him walk. If that's the case, obviously that's more of a loss than a win for the Jazz. The only win for them would be that they've saved money on him and hopefully they can find someone better or, or, or somebody else steps up and they use the money on him instead uh, to kind of take Hood's spot. But really, that's a big loss. You know, we drafted Rodney Hood in the first round. Even though it was late in the first round, he showed a ton of promise. He's looked as if he's going to be a key part of this team for years to come. So if he doesn't get extended and he plays terribly this year, um, that's that's going to be that's going to be pretty tough. That's going to be not not the best thing, obviously. Um, for Hood, it's it's kind of in the middle. It's mostly a loss again because obviously it appears the Jazz didn't want to keep him. Um, but for him, I guess he gets a fresh start. He can go sign for more money somewhere else, potentially, if the Jazz didn't want to pay him. But again, it's not a great circumstance for him. I guess I know I said that would be the last one, uh, but let me just bring up one more as well. And that could be, you know, whether Rodney plays good or not this year, it could just be that a team offers him a certain amount of money in restricted free agency and the Jazz decide not to match. Whether they don't match because the offer is just too high or if they don't match because Rodney Hood didn't play well enough to deserve that offer that they're throwing at him, there is that chance that based on how Rodney Hood plays this year, at the end of the season, um, the another team will offer him enough money and he will use his restricted free agency and the Jazz won't match and he will go elsewhere. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, what do I want personally? You know, I loved the Rudy Gobert extension. You know, the Jazz took care of it well ahead of time and it panned out. It worked like a charm. If the Jazz had waited on Rudy Gobert until he had hit free agency, they probably would have had to pay him a lot more. And, you know, we know that he's worth a lot more now. But Rudy was obviously happy with the extension at the time. The Jazz are happy with how it panned out. And I hope that something mutually agreeable happens with Rodney Hood. Obviously, we know that there were the reports that surfaced that Gordon Hayward did not like how the Jazz handled his restricted free agency, um, that it rubbed in the wrong way how they made him go find a max deal, uh, which he obviously did eventually. With Hood, though, you know, he has had such injury struggles that I feel like he has less leverage. He may be understanding if the Jazz say, look, Rodney, we want you to earn it this year, and then we'll take care of you at the end of the year. Um, So for me, it it might sound like a cop-out, but it all depends on the money. If the Jazz can come to a reasonable agreement with Rodney Hood to extend him right now, 
I think they should do it because best case scenario, it pans out. He has a good year and it'll all work out that way. He's going to need to prove that he deserves, you know, whatever money they throw at him. So that's good. Um, if they, if he's wanting too much though, and if the jazz can't come to a reasonable agreement, I think they should make him earn it. Even if that ends up costing them more in the long run, because here's the thing. I would rather that he plays well this year and we have to pay him more in the future then we commit a ton of money to him now and he doesn't pan out and we're just stuck with another underachiever, another bad contract. So like I said, I hate to make it sound like a cop-out, but it all depends on the money for me. If the Jazz can extend him now at a, at a reasonable price, I think they should do it. However, if he's demanding more than they feel comfortable with, they should say, okay, well, if that's the price you're looking for, go and prove it. And if you can prove that you're worth that much, we'll get it done. But until we know that you're capable of that, we're going to wait and let 1718 pan out so we can see whether you're really worth that or, or whether we're going to be able to get you for less than that. So those are my thoughts. Um, I've expressed a few times that I'm a little hesitant on Rodney Hood. I want him to do well, obviously. I just haven't been 100% pleased with some of the things he's shown. Sounds like he's worked really hard this offseason. He's done uh, you know, a similar workout program to what Gordon Hayward did with Johnny Bryant. And I hope we see Hood just really break out. And if he does, and if the Jazz do extend him, hopefully he can become you know, a cornerstone for this franchise and a really important, a really key piece. I'm not convinced that's going to happen yet, but hopefully I eat my words and he does it. So that's my thought. If the Jazz can get him for a good deal now, do it. Otherwise, make him prove it. So those are kind of the scenarios facing Rodney Hood. We'll keep a close eye on that all season. Let's move on now to point number three. Point three. So for point number three, wanted to take a step back and look at the league as a whole. And, you know, a lot of this, you know, based on the time of year we're at and everything, it's all speculation. It's all just prediction. But I wanted to look at a few players, mostly a few star players, who joined new teams this offseason and really go into how I think they're going to be, how they're going to play, and how the year is going to pan out for them. Uh, the first one is Paul George. And this is a really interesting circumstance to me, guys. Like, I feel like if Paul George had gone over to Oklahoma City, like in a trade where he had a few years left on his contract, pretty much if there was just none of this Los Angeles Lakers uh, drama that, oh, he's dead set on joining the Lakers, he's going to be there next year no matter what. If we could just erase that, I would be really excited about Paul George in Oklahoma City. I think it could be a really cool fit with him in Westbrook. It would be similar to the Durant-Westbrook combo they had before. I know that George isn't quite as good as Durant by any means, but I do think he's a better defensive player, and I think that he has the possibility of maybe coexisting better with Westbrook. They both still have egos. They're both you know, guys that want the ball. They want a lot of touches, but I could see those two panning out. With that being said, because of this whole drama that he's going to bounce after one year anyway, I don't know. I mean, he's going to want to play well to get a big contract, but I could also see him being less than committed, less than dedicated both to Westbrook and to the, his new Oklahoma City, the city team, and that could cause some issues, I guess. I do personally think he's going to have a good year there. I think the Thunder will be a good team. I have him pinned fourth in the in the West. You know, maybe if they overachieve, I could see him getting into the top three, but I feel more comfortable putting them as a top four team rather than a top three team. I think Paul George will have a good year statistically. How he really performs though is going to depend on how or it's going to depend on how well he coexists with Russell Westbrook and how motivated and determined he is to push Oklahoma City to the to the next level. Honestly, if I were him, and I still feel bad for the way that things shook down with him and the Pacers, I think they could have been something special if he had stuck it out there. But I just really think that if he can commit to the Thunder and really give it his all, I really think he can make them be a special team. So. 
We'll see. It's going to be interesting to see how that team pans out. Next one is Jimmy Butler. Obviously, he was traded to the Timberwolves. I think the Timberwolves are going to be a good team next year. I think they'll definitely be a playoff team. I just don't know if they're going to be quite as good as people think they're going to be. A lot of people have them as, you know, they're kind of that tier right beneath um, the top four. If you think that, you know, Golden State, Houston, San Antonio, and Oklahoma City are your top four, a lot of people think Minnesota's that next team. I'm not convinced that such is the case. I see them more as a seven seed, um, maybe a six, or, or maybe they do a little worse and they're an eight. But I, I feel pretty comfortable pitting them as a seven seed. And my concern there, it's not with Jimmy Butler, it's not with their young guys, it's just with more the overall system there in Minnesota. It's with Coach Thibodeau, it's with the fact that I'm not convinced that they're going to have a good bench, I don't know they're going to have the greatest defense, I'm very worried about their spacing as far as who's going to be the ones that step up and shoot threes. Yes, you have Jeff Teague, but he's been streaky, you have Jamal Crawford, um, but he's he's getting up there in years, he's, he's not you know a spring chicken anymore. I just don't know that Minnesota's going to exactly kill it. I do think Butler's going to play very well there. He's going to be their best player, even with Towns and Wiggins on the roster. I think he's going to continue to be a star there. I just don't know that it all comes together where Jimmy Butler's enough to take you know, the 13th seed or the 13th place Minnesota team from last year all the way up to being a fifth seed or you know, right in that thick of the playoff race. I just don't think that's going to be the case. When you look at it, even a jump from 13th to 7th is an astronomical jump for a, for a team that was a lottery team last year. So do I think Jimmy Butler is going to be good and make his team better? Yes. Do I think they're going to be quite as good as people are, are raving about them? No, I do not. Um, next one, I'll kind of rope these two together, is both Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. Um, obviously, Jazz fans are very familiar with Gordon Hayward. Um, I will say this, and... I do not want this to come across as me being bitter or anything because I think Gordon Hayward is a phenomenal player. I also think, though, that Boston Celtics fans and a lot of the media think he's a better player than he really was. Um, I mean, he squeaked into that all-star spot this past year. Um, He was very fortunate to become an all-star. I do think he'll be a shoe-in as an all-star in the Eastern Conference, so don't misunderstand me there either. But I just feel like Gordon Hayward is not quite the guy that Boston thinks he's going to be. He's a very good player. He's going to help that team be better. Um, Kyrie Irving is also a very good player. I just don't think the two of them combined are going to make Boston you know, a, a championship title contending team. I think the Boston Celtics will be a good Eastern Conference team. I think that they would be good if they were in the Western Conference. I think they would be you know, in the top half of the Western Conference. That being said, I don't think they're going to be able to beat LeBron James. I don't think they'll go to the NBA Finals, and I do worry a little bit about how Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving are going to coexist. I mentioned last show with uh, Ryan Aston that I, I'm curious to see how Gordon Hayward is going to play with a guy like Kyrie Irving who has a bit of an ego, who wants the ball. I don't know that since Darren Williams, um, when Gordon Hayward was a rookie, that he's really played with somebody quite with that attitude. It's going to be interesting to see how he can kind of stand out as his own person or if he's going to kind of fade in the background and let Kyrie Irving just take the lead role and be more of a more of a Robin to Kyrie Irving's Batman. It'll be interesting to see if those two are kind of equals, if they're kind of a dynamic duo, or if um, Kyrie Irving is the alpha to Gordon Hayward. So, I don't know. I, I, I do think they're going to be a very good team. I do think that Hayward has been a little bit overhyped. And saying that, I would I would say that even if you say with the Jazz. If you say with the Jazz, I still think the Jazz would have been better, obviously. I think Gordon Hayward would have been a very good player. Don't get Don't misunderstand me. I just don't think that he is in the same echelon as some of these guys that, I, that I've mentioned. I, I honestly think that Paul George is a better player. Jimmy Butler's a better player. And obviously other guys that stayed on their teams are better players as well. So I just think the Celtics are getting a little too overexcited. It'll be interesting to see how he ends up fitting in with that team. Next guy I want to mention is Isaiah Thomas. And 
I really feel for Isaiah. I, I really want the best for Isaiah Thomas. I'm a fan of him. I just love how he's kind of, you know, proven, he's kind of disproven the odds. He was the last pick um, in the draft and he was drafted and he's become a star. And I hope this hip injury isn't as serious as it sounds. Sounds like he could be out until the All-Star break. But if he can find a way to overcome that and be the player he was in Boston, I really think that he could have a better chemistry with LeBron than Kyrie Irving had. And I think he could be an awesome fit. I think that he could help Cleveland in some ways maybe be better just because he's going to distribute more. He's going to look to be more of a team player, I feel like. He's going to understand that LeBron is the best player. And I don't think he's going to be offended at all of taking kind of a second role to LeBron. I think Isaiah Thomas could be a great fit on Cleveland, and I hope he's healthy because he really was a great player last year. I know he gets a lot of you know criticism for you know being smaller and not playing the best defense, but I think he could really do well there, and I hope that he can. Next one is Chris Paul. Um, I don't know. I mean, this one could either be awesome or it could be a flop in Houston. And the reason I'm worried about being a flop is that the reason why Houston was so good last year and a big reason why Mike D'Antoni got so much praise is because he kind of did the unconventional thing and he moved James Harden to the point guard position. James Harden thrived. He had so many assists. He looked phenomenal. And I just worry that if you have Chris Paul in there and you have James Harden in there as well, that both of them with such high usage ratings, it may be a struggle for the for the Rockets to really determine who's going to be the primary ball handler, how that's all going to look, how that's going to work. You know, Chris Paul's getting up there in age as well. There's some current concerns there. I do think Houston is a top three team in the West. Um, I don't know that they're much more than that. I still don't know if Chris Paul gives them the edge to beat the Spurs. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that. I know a lot of people think the Spurs are going to drop. But I have more confidence in Kawhi Leonard and in Greg Popovich than I have in, in Chris Paul and James Harden, quite frankly. So that's my thoughts there. Paul Millsap in Denver. Um, you know, I think he's going to help Denver be better. I'm not denying that whatsoever. I'm still not sold that Denver is going to be this incredible team next year. I still think that their guards need need work. I mean, Millsap and Nikola Jokic are going to be one of the funnest front court, front court duos in the entire league. I'm excited to see those two go to work together. Uh, you know, they're guys that can they can pass, they can shoot, they can really do it all. It's going to be awesome. But, you know, Denver's backcourt kind of worries me. I don't know that they're really there yet. So as much as I think Paul Millsap is going to help Denver, and I think he'll be a key piece of their success there, I don't know if they have enough around him still uh, to be considered just this huge threat yet. Um, last guy I want to talk about, and I know he's not really a star, so consider this kind of a bonus player that I wanted to mention. That's Rudy Gay. I just talked about the uh, the San Antonio Spurs a little bit in regards to I don't think that the Rockets are going to surpass them. I know a lot of people disagree with me on that. I think Rudy Gay is going to do great in San Antonio. You know, the Achilles injury is a little bit concerning because it's hard for players to bounce back from that. But I feel like he has the skill set and he has the mentality um, where Greg Popovich can really work wonders with this guy. I know that Rudy Gay has had kind of a bad rap throughout his career for being a guy that stops the ball. He doesn't pass well, or I should say he doesn't pass a lot. He's kind of a ball hog. But I think you get him in a Popovich system. You get him next to a guy like Kawhi Leonard. You let you know Rudy Gay play some stretch four. And I think that he could really be an instrumental piece of that team. He could be kind of a sleeper for maybe you know whether he starts or not. Depending on how the, the Spurs work out their lineup, he could be a six-man-of-the-year candidate. He could be a guy that really comes in and helps take them to a new level. So I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to see the Spurs. They're still my team in the West that I think is going to be the biggest threat to the Warriors just because I have total confidence in Popovich and Kawhi, and I think they're going to make things happen. So that's my look at stars who change teams. That's going to wrap it up for today, guys. I appreciate you tuning into the podcast. 
want to remind everybody, make sure you subscribe on iTunes to the Three Point Threat Podcast. Also, make sure you're following on Twitter at 3P Threat Podcast. Be sure to follow my Twitter handle as well, which is just at Jared Woodcox. If you guys have any questions or suggestions for the show, please be sure to reach out. Also, make sure you're following the J Notes. Um, you know, we're, we're up and running. We're getting excited for the season coming and excited to get a lot of good content and pieces out there. So make sure to follow thejnotes.com, which is just at the J Notes on Twitter. Until next time, guys, so long, and we're getting close to basketball. Have a good one.